Where there is a judgment to be made, I have favoured the well-written and the colourful over the dutiful and the worthy. Thus the Marquis of Queensbury, a man of strong character, but unfortunately also of ill-balanced mind, is included. Not just because he formulated the Queensbury rules of boxing, but because the obituary itself is an entertaining account of an eccentric character, and to an extent, a commentary on the society of his day. The life of Sir Colin Campbell, he of the thin red line at Balaclava, is a remarkable narrative of military exploits, but is also invested with an eloquence which is very much of its time. Thus, he did not conceal his ill opinion of the Indian army and considered the sepoys as a mere bamboo of the lance, which was valueless unless it were tipped with the steel of British infantry. The remarkable pioneer of nursing medicine, Dr Elsie Ingalls, is lovingly described her splendid organising capacity, her skill and her absolute disregard of her own comfort drew forth the love and admiration of the whole Serbian people, which they were not slow to express. I favoured the Labour rebel James Maxton. Tall, spare, pale and almost cadaverous looking, with piercing eyes and long black hair, a lock of which fell at emotional moments over the right ear. As well as Bill Shankly, the football manager, an old-fashioned halfback, who was said to have run with his palms turned out like a sailing ship striving for extra help from the wind. No one could argue that the Russian-Scottish writer Eugenie Fraser changed history, but who, on the other hand, could resist an obituary that begins, Ninety-six years ago, a baby girl, half Scottish, half Russian, wrapped in furs against the bitter cold of an archangel winter, was taken by sledge across the River Davina to the house of a very old lady who had lived long enough to remember seeing Napoleon's troops fleeing down the roads of Smolensk and to have had a son killed in the Crimean War. There are too few women here, again a reflection of the age in which these obituaries were compiled, but those who are included are memorable. Catherine, Duchess of Athol, the Red Duchess, and one of the first women to hold ministerial office, a tiny, upright, hawk-like figure, poised with an innate dignity that was reinforced by the greatness of her moral stature. Mary Somerville, the first woman controller at the BBC, of whom her obituaries wrote, When troubles arose, no staff were ever better defended in public, though in private they were often told pretty frankly where their work had fallen short. Or Margot MacDonald, the SNP's blonde bombshell, who once said, I don't choose my enemies, they choose me. Times obituaries have always been anonymous, and remain so today. An important tradition which allows judgement to be made about a subject's character without the accusation that the writer's personal prejudices are being deployed. Whoever it was who wrote of Sir Henry Campbell Bannerman that it is impossible for the impartial historian not to blame him both for the unwisdom of his initial policy on South Africa and for the costly injudiciousness of some of his phrases, was able to do so without risking a lengthy correspondence on the objectivity of the writer, or lack of it. Behind each obituary lies the opinion of the times, rather than the individual. Overall, however, the impression that emerges from this pantheon of Scottish characters is one of the rich contribution they made to human society. Those who wish to undermine it are greatly outnumbered by those who reinforced it. The bridge builders, 
the architects of civic programs, the great military commanders, the explorers and the inventors, many of whom made robust comments on the world in which they lived. Alexander Graham Bell, for instance, was scathing about government interference in the commercial exploitation of the telephone which he had invented. I am afraid that the comparatively low state of efficiency in this country, the UK, as compared with our system in the United States, must be attributed to government ownership. Government ownership aims at cheapness, and cheapness does not necessarily mean efficiency. His comments are as relevant today as they were then. Here then is a cross-section of history, told by those who are offering a contemporary view of its most significant characters. However far in advance of their demise these accounts may have been composed, there is a freshness of view which rarely emerges from more considered opinions, and where that view is warmly admired...